Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. You guys awake yet? Awesome. You guys all caffeinated and and, uh, got some cookies out there in the cafeteria. Fantastic. Welcome to Simple Church. My name is Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. First, I want to welcome our guest this morning. Can we give a round of applause for our guests and make them feel welcome? Let them know we're happy that you are here today. Thank you so much for being a part of what we're doing here in Reynoldsburg here at Simple Church. I want to give a little bit of a testimony before we jump in. We're in this series called Not a Fan, but I want to share something with you. So you may look around the room and notice there's a new piece of machinery in the room, and and it's right over there. And uh, let me tell you why I'm excited that uh, that thing is now in our auditorium, because that's an air conditioner. And uh, yeah, if you've been here the last few weeks, it has been a little muggy up in here, you know what I'm saying? Just a little bit. And, uh, and so maybe you didn't feel it out there, but as the guys standing up here, I was a little moist, let's just say. And so, yeah, just, 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 just a little moist. And uh, so I'm super thankful. The reason I'm talking about that is because we didn't find out how much it was going to cost. We knew there was the potential that we were going to get it and that, that uh, there, was, there was this opportunity for us. But we didn't know how much it was going to cost until after uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday morning service. They said, okay, this is the final price. And so I knew when I got the final price that I was going to be able to come to you guys and say, okay, guys, are we enjoying it being muggy in here and all being moist? Or do we want an air conditioner? And, and I wanted to present the opportunity to the congregation to give so that we could get it. However, the opportunity kind of eluded me because the install was going to be Saturday. So between Sunday and Saturday, since it was after services, I had no opportunity to share with you. So what that meant was that I was going to put out word through our planning center. So if you are a volunteer here, I put it up on Facebook. I sent it out through as many groups as I could and tried to get the word to everybody. So if you didn't hear about the opportunity, I apologize. But we, were, we determined as a church to go ahead and forward the, the money that it was going to cost to get this system, and then we would give an opportunity for the congregation to give. And so I put up a fundraiser. Uh, we've also got a need for replacing a carpet back here in the kids' area, and so I just put them together, and, uh, and, and let me tell you how, God, how good God is, okay? See, this system is a $7,000 system. It, well, you're, what you're not looking at is all the ductwork and all the piping and even the big unit that's outside that actually cools everything off, okay? This is a $7,000 system that God blessed us with an opportunity to get all of it installed for $1,000, Oh, please. Yeah, absolutely. I have been doing a Snoopy dance. It looks like this. Snoopy dance. <laughs> and, then I, and then I got a little more of a charismatic dance going on. You know, the, the, the white guy, this thing. When, when, I, uh, when I put the fundraiser up on Wednesday night, I talked to my board and I said, this is, this is what I think we need to do. Because we won't have an opportunity between now and Sunday to say, hey, who would like to contribute to this? And so I put it up on Facebook. Five or six o'clock, Wednesday night. By 2.30, Thursday, it was fully funded. And I want to praise God. I want to give him the glory, give him the honor, because not only 
Not only do we now have our air conditioning unit, but we also have the money to replace the carpet back there, so we are, we are, are going to take care of that in one of the kids' rooms. And, uh, and so, to God be the glory for that. I even had people texting me like, man, the, it was funded before I had an opportunity to give. I'm like, snooze, you lose. I don't know what to tell you, you know? So anyway, <laughs> so I'm just really thankful. I'm just excited this morning and, and uh, just, just sitting in this room just going, wow, God, you're really doing something here. Not only are you, are you changing lives, but you're opening our hearts to, to generosity. And it's just, uh, it's just wonderful how generous you've been. So thank you for that. All right, so we are in the middle of a series called Not a Fan, and uh, this, this series that we're doing is actually based on a book by the author uh, Kyle Eidelman, and it's called Not a Fan, uh, and uh, this, this book actually sat on my shelf for like two years, and, uh, and my buddy Josh over here was, was talking to me. He said, you know, I just read this book, Not a Fan. You need to read it, and I was like, dude, I've had that forever, so I picked it up, and I started reading it, and I was like, oh, this is my heart. I have to share this, and so I want to encourage you as we're going through it. We're in week three right now. We've got a few more weeks that we'll explore the, the topic of, of, of uh, not a fan, but if you want to follow along, you can pick these books up. We purchased a few of them, and they sold out pretty quick, so uh, you can get these at Lifeway or go on Amazon and get them uh, pretty, pretty inexpensively, but, but this is a fantastic book that will challenge your heart, and, and I'm sharing some of the concepts from it. Essentially, the idea of being not a fan is, is Jesus when he came to this earth, he didn't come to create fans. See, a fan is somebody who stands in the, in the, uh, in the Colosseum or the, the, man, what is the word? The, the stadium, thank you. I don't talk good sometimes. That's why Josh is here. Colosseum, what are we, in Rome? Make a note of the stadium word for next service. Stadium. We're in a, we're, fans sit in the stadium and they cheer. They're excited. They love being a part of it from a distance. They like knowing all about their teams, but they never want to be players. They never want to get down to the field. They think it's convenient. It's comfortable to sit and to sip their colas and to eat their hot dogs and watch it all happen. But no, thank you. That's not for me. But Jesus didn't come to create fans of his work. He came to create followers. And so the first week we, we looked at what the difference between a fan and a follower is, and we kind of separated that out. The second week uh, in our series, just in case you want to go back and listen to them, we, we talked about who the invitation was extended or to whom the invitation was extended to become a follower. And we discovered that was anyone. Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, and anyone means everyone. And so the invitation to be a follower is extended to all of us. And we talked about what that looks like. And that doesn't mean a specific kind of person. It means everyone. No matter what your walk of life is, no matter where you're from, no matter rich or poor, healthy or sick, doesn't matter. It's in, the invitation is to everyone. And so we're exploring, and the crux of all this is Luke 9, 23, and Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. We kind of made a joke last week that the ad campaign for that, essentially, if you were to pare it down, is is three words. It's come and die. And so, of course, I had a t-shirt made that says come and die and put the puts the reference on it. Now, you may be offended by that. You may even be turned off by the invitation, but you need to understand that's what the invitation is. It's to come and to die. Die to what? Die to ourselves. To take up your cross. That's a a violent picture of a crucifixion of your rights, your privileges, of all that you want in exchange for all that he is and has desired for your life. So that's what this series is all about. And so since we've looked at, at who the invitation was made to and what the difference is, we're going to continue to look at what being not a fan means, okay? 
So this week we're going to look at the subject of intimacy. We're going to do that through one of the most uh, awkward and strangest encounters, I think, that, that, in my opinion anyway, that, that Jesus ever has with a fan and a follower, okay? So if you need a Bible, first of all, we would love to give you one. If you don't own one, on the subject of intimacy, the way you grow closer with God is, is reading his word. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to bless you with one. Just shoot your hand in the air. We'll give you one. It is a New Testament only, so if you want an Old Testament, you're going to have to get some skin in the game and, and purchase the Old Testament. But we will give you a New Testament, so just, just let, uh, let us know by, by raising your hand. But we will also have the verses up on the screen, and we are going to be back in Luke at uh, chapter 7, verses 36 through 38 is where we find this awkward situation. The verse starts out and says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, I don't know about you guys, but anytime I sit at a table when I was younger and I would sit like this, my mom would ask me, what's wrong with you? You need a pillow? Anybody else have that? You're like, you didn't lean. You didn't do that. You didn't, elbows were not allowed on the table. You don't lean. If you're tired, maybe you need to go lay down. Right? But here's Jesus, and it says, He's reclined at the table. I imagine he looked like he was mermaid dancing. It was floor work. You know, he's, on the, he's at the table and he's reclined. I don't know why they ate that way. It makes sense to sit in a chair. But he's reclined. So a woman in that town who lived in a sinful life. I just want you to visualize the scriptures. Make them come alive somehow, folks. Make them come alive, okay? So gee, here's Jesus laying at a table. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, so Jesus is laying on the, on, at the table, and she's behind him, okay? Get, get the visual here. She's behind him. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. This is a strange scenario. Has anybody ever had your feet cleaned by having another human being cry on them? This sounds like something crazy you'd find like in Hong Kong or something like that. You know, you could go to like this seedy little back room and somebody will cry and wash your feet with their hair. Doesn't it sound, it just sounds, it, it just sounds ridiculous to me. But this is what's happening. This is a woman who is so broken, she's heard about a man named Jesus who is accepting and extended an invitation to anyone to follow him. She's heard that she's there, and she knows that even though she's a sinner, that he will accept her. And in her brokenness, she comes and she begins to cry. And so here's these two different people that Jesus encountered that are on two very different paths. First, you need to understand that Simon was a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? Well, the Pharisees were a religious group of people that were very well educated, all right? These are the guys that win at Bible trivia every time. You, don't, you hate these guys. You don't want to play with them. Their pieces of the pie are completely filled, you know, if you play Trivia Pursuit. They've even got the ones where you act out and stuff. They got it. But these are not a group of people who knew God personally. These are people who knew about God, okay? And Jesus even describes them in, in Matthew 15, 8 as being people who honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So this description seems to fit most fans of Jesus. They've given their minds to the study of Jesus, but not their hearts. And when Jesus enters his house, there's some things that typically happen when you walk into somebody's house. See, Jesus was an invited guest. And during this time, culturally, one of the things that would have happened is, is, is that you would receive a kiss 
from, from, the, from the, uh, the, the person who owned the home. When you were invited in, you would receive a kiss, maybe on the hand or I don't know how the French do it. You know, mwah, mwah, it's just both sides. I'm not sure what that looked like, but that was customary to receive a kiss. And Jesus doesn't get a kiss from Simon. Typically, the custom would have been to wash the feet of the guest who entered your home. I mean, they're going to lay down at your table. That means the food was probably foot height, some, or the table would have been feet. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. But mentally, I imagine dirty feet at the table is probably not a great idea. Forget the elbows on the table. How about some feet? And you need to understand why they washed their feet, because they wore sandals during that time. Sandals that would be open-toed, and, and they would have had exposure to the sun. They would have had exposure to the dust. And you need to also understand that they were walking the same roads that the animals walked. So there w- probably would have been animal dung on the road that they would have traveled through unwittingly, whatever. As they walked or journeyed, their feet get dirty. And so it's customary to wash the feet of the person who comes in or to have a servant do it when you came into the house. Jesus' feet go unwashed. And oftentimes when you had a guest, especially a distinguished guest, you would offer them some inexpensive oil to anoint their heads with. And that's their custom. And none of this, as Jesus enters the house of a fan, Simon the Pharisee, happens for him. So imagine the scene. Jesus is in the middle of eating with this pretender, this fan. And in the middle of their meal, there is an uninvited guest. The Bible tells us in Luke 7 that she's a known sinner. She's a woman of ill repute. She's known by the community. She's known by the Pharisees. All the religious people knew she was a sinner. We don't even know what her sin is. We don't know whether she was a homewrecker or whether she was a gossip. We don't know if she was a murderer. We don't know what her situation was. But we know she was a sinner and she had a reputation for living out that life. And she walks into this house and she is weeping and crying and she falls at the feet of Jesus And tears are dripping off of her face and falling onto his feet. At which point in time she has to notice that the feet that she would have expected to have been washed because it was customary are now becoming muddy because the dust and her tears are are mingling. And she sees that there's mud caking up on his feet and so she undoes her hair. And she does the unthinkable. I don't, I don't like to be muddy at all. Like, it's a, it's a texture kind of thing. I can't stand that. But to take my head and just, you know, <laughs> this is not a Brillo pad. When I was younger, I had longer hair. My dad said it looked like I had a mop on my head. But even still, I would not have thought to wash somebody's hair with my feet, or wash their feet with my hair. And here, she undoes her hair. And the Bible's very specific about this. She takes her hair down. Why is that important? Because the women of that day would have had their hair up. They would have had it up, and they would have had it covered. Why? Because to undo your hair and to let it down was a sign of intimacy. Only their husbands or their lovers were ones that saw the women with their hair down. And here, in front of everybody, she undoes her hair and does what, to me, is the unthinkable And I don't think she planned this. I think she would have come in assuming that Jesus' feet would have been clean, but she found them dirty. And so with her tears, she washes his feet. Now, can you imagine? All right, when I cry, and even when I'm full-on crying, I have no idea how many tears it would take to wash somebody's feet. How heavy is she crying? How broken is she that she's sitting at the feet of the master? 
How thankful is she? Can you see it? How much would she, and how long would she have been crying? How much would she have been crying? How long? To be able to wash somebody's feet. And with her hair, she dries his feet, and she begins to kiss them, crying, broken. And then she pulls out a jar of very expensive uh, perfume, and she anoints his feet. So what I want you to do is freeze that moment right there. I want you to hold that because we're going to talk a little bit about intimacy today. We'll come back to that story in just a moment. And I'm not sure if you know this or not, but when a baby is born, it cries. It cries nonstop for lots of different reasons. The baby cries. In my situation, I had two babies, and they were crying all at once. And I didn't always know the reason that the baby was crying or babies were crying. It wasn't always clear to me, but I knew that they needed something. And so when you don't know what the baby needs, you, you, you try everything, right? You feed them, you diaper them, you burp them, you coddle them, you sway them a little bit. You know, I'd even sing to my kids. I'd sing, baby beluga in the deep blue sky. I don't want to keep singing. It's too powerful. It'll put you right to sleep, okay? <laughs> It's a true story. But I would sing to my kids, or I'd turn on the wiggles, you know, fruit salad, yummy. Nobody has kids this age? Or maybe even Barney. I won't even hum it, because then you're, we're done. You're welcome. But, but, <laughs> but you try everything, and, when, and, and you don't know what to do. And sometimes, sometimes they continue to cry. And if it wasn't for my mom, I would tell you that I would have been sunk. I'd have been sunk because I was able to call my mom when they were infants and say, Mom, what's going on? I have no idea what to do. And she could hear her cry, and she could identify it for me. She said, well, you need to do this. You need to diaper them. Because like, I was a single dad of twins for a while. That was it. It was me versus the world, buddy. I was, and they were my world. And so I didn't know what to do. I'd call my mom. What, what do I do? She, she'd tell me over the phone, just, just do this or just do that. Somehow, hearing the cry, she could, she could know. She's like the baby whisperer a little bit, you know what I mean? And she'd say, give him a nap, you know, swaddle him up. Or this, just do, she, she just knew what to do. When we go to my mom's house, she could hear another cry, and she'd know that the, the, that the diaper needed change. And she'd say, look, he wants his daddy to change him. That's why he's crying. <laughs> and while I changed the diaper, I doubted that he was crying because he wanted daddy to change him, you know? That's my dad back there saying those things. Still, despite using her, her ability to get me to change dirty diapers, my mom had this intuitive connection uh, with my boys. Because there was a time when we lived with them when they were still young, and the connection was so strong between my, my boys and my mother that they called her mom for a time. They were connected. They're, they were very close and still are to this day, very, very close with my mom. In fact, there's almost no relationship more intimate than a mother and child. There's, there's very few that have that kind of bond, that kind of connection, because a mother is able to know and understand her child's wants and needs in a way that nobody else can. Because I mean, honestly, we've all been at one of those parties, right, where somebody's holding the baby and the baby starts to cry and then the baby becomes like a hot potato. You're passing them from person to person to try to see who's got the magic touch, who can put the baby to rest and calm them down, and then mom walks in the room and the baby hears mom's voice and is instantly at peace. That's that connection 
That's that, that intimate relationship of knowing and being known completely that a mother and child have together. In a picture, I would say that that's intimacy. And until you've witnessed or experienced intimacy, you can't understand. Like, I can define intimacy for you. I can tell you what it means. I can share it in a story. I can use it in a sentence so that you understand it mentally. But until you've experienced intimacy, you won't get it. You, you, you just won't get it. And today as we talk about intimacy and its place in the life of a follower, the first thing I want to look at is the fact that God knows you intimately. He knows you intimately. Probably the best word for intimacy uh, is the word know. It's essentially, when you look at the word intimacy, it's in, to, me, see. It's to know and be known completely. That's what intimacy is. And so God knows you that way. He sees into you. He knows your desires. He knows your heart. He knows your thoughts. He knows how you feel. And our first, our first uh, context of this know in, in relation to intimacy uh, is, is within the context of relationships in Genesis 4.1. You're, you're probably familiar with this verse because Genesis 4.1 says, And Adam knew his wife Eve. That's from the King James, and of course, that's a little old school, so, so here, but the, the Hebrew word for no is the word yada. It's yada. It's just fun to say. And the definition for yada is to know and to be known completely, okay? But the NIV, if you will read a different translation of the Bible, it translates it a little different because it puts it into the context of what's actually happening here. So your Bible probably reads, and Adam lay with his wife Eve. So you get the picture. This is our context for yada, for that word yada. It gives new meaning to someone saying yada, 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 right? You know, it's, but, 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 but even when somebody says yada, 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 they're not making a reference to sex. What they're making a reference to is, is okay, so they're telling a story and they get to a part where they know you know the, the rest of it and I know the rest of it. And so they're telling the story and they go, and yada, yada, yada. And that's the end of the story, right? It's because you know and I know. But that's not what we're looking at here. This isn't that kind of yada moment. This is a yada moment between a husband and a wife. It's the intimate connection on every level, to know and to be known. Isn't that beautiful? It's just beautiful to me. And there's something to be said for the sacredness of sexual intimacy, that when we first read about sex, it's about intimacy, not about physical pleasure. It's not about that. There are other Hebrew words that could have been used if it was to reference the act. But it's not, because there are words used later in Scripture that reference the act or reference procreation. But here, it's this intimate connection, this word that is used to know and be known. It's almost like one Hebrew scholar says it's like a mingling of souls. And it's hard to understand this until you see the difference between a brand new couple and a couple who have been together for a long time. You guys, any, anybody go out on a date on a regular basis and you go to a restaurant? Anybody here a people watcher kind of group? I like to people watch. My wife and I have lots of things to talk about and we always have great conversations. But when we go out, I am more often than not, I'm not a guy who stares at the TV. I could care less about most sports except the Buckeyes. OH? There you go. Fantastic. <laughs> I don't know that they do that anywhere else in this city, by the way. Root for the Buckeyes this way. But you go out on, a dinner, on your dinner date, and you look around, and you see couples. 
and you begin to people watch, and there's generally two different kinds of couples out there, right? The first kind of couple is the, the, the couple that you've identified as these guys must be new to dating. This is a brand new relationship, right? Because they are probably seated next to each other, sitting dangerously close to one another, and they're talking. They're interrupting each other. They're smacking hands. It's so much fun, and it looks so entertaining. You're like, oh, that's new love. That's new love. You can enjoy that. And they're just, they, they, may, they may be touching an arm or just, you know, their food's been served and they're not even eating it. They don't even care that it's getting cold because they're so into one another. Talk, 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 talk. That's all it is. And then the other couple is a couple that sits and eats in silence. You can watch them and you stare at them and you watch them and you're like just waiting for them to say a word. You may even have a bet with the person you're sitting with about how long it's going to take for somebody to breathe a word to each other. But you can watch them, and that's not very entertaining at all. It actually, you know, it, it makes me kind of sad to sit there and look at them and go, wow, it's so sad that they, they have nothing to say to each other. And this is typically a couple that you can peg and identify. They've probably been together for a few decades. They, they, they've, been, they've been together for a while. Maybe they've just run out of things to say. But really, if you think about it, your initial response to that is that, oh, that's sad. But think about it for a minute. Maybe it's not sad. Maybe it's really sweet. Maybe it's that they don't need to speak to communicate, that they just have this level of intimacy with each other that they are known and known completely, that they know and know completely each other. That they have this connection that does not have, does not have to be spoken anymore. For them to have that intimate connection, it's sufficient for them just to be in each other's company. Oh, when you think of it that way, it's, it's really sweet. Wow. That's a beautiful thing and something you can strive for. And as my wife sits in the congregation, honey, maybe we should do that. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I love hearing your stories. <laughs> I really do. I love her more than anybody in this world. I really do. She's, she's my, my sugar booger. but <laughs> Maybe she's not after today. But... <laughs> <laughs> and as you sit there and you kind of judge silently looking at this couple who are not communicating with each other but are having conversations without words, you may wonder what it is that they are saying to each other in an unspoken way. Maybe it's like, why are those guys staring at us? <laughs> maybe, maybe they're not. But they connect because they share this intimate bond. And so... You understand what it means for a woman and a man to have intimacy, to yada each other, okay? But what I'm about to tell you may seem a little bit strange to you, and if you're new to Christianity, it may seem even weird to you, but we'll work through some of that because I just want you to be ready for it, okay? Here it is. If you trace the usage of the word yada, that to know or, and, and be known completely, through the Old Testament, you'll find the use of it over and over again. This is the same word that's used to describe God's relationship with us. Over and over again, yada is the word that's used to describe how God knows you and wants to be known by you. That's a little strange, right? I mean, it's the same word, the same connection used to describe a husband and wife is used to describe how God wants to know you. And this will completely change your relationship with God if you understand this here. For me, thinking of my day-in and day-out connection with my wife, the, the way that I talk to her and the frequency in which I talk to her and what I share with her, 
my relationship with God pales in comparison to how much I communicate with my wife. But this is the relationship we are to have. The things that we share with each other are the things he wants you to share with him. That intimacy, that connection that you share. But learning this can teach us something. And this is what it is that, we, that I want you to get is that our relationship with Jesus is not a weekend thing. It's not a casual encounter. It's a yada. It's a deep knowing. It's intimacy. And King David, when we look at him, he was a, a man who was after God's own heart. That's what God said about David. He wrote all these psalms and these songs to God. And in, in Psalm 139, he describes or uses the word yada five times to describe how God knows us. Let's look at the verse. It says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know, yada, everything about me. You, yada, know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You know, you know, you know. Over and over again, we see that God knows. He knows us. You know how I feel. You know how I hurt. You know what I'm thinking. But not only does God know us intimately, God wants you to know him. Well, it's crazy that God knows us that deeply and intimately. It is more disturbing to me that, that he, when I say disturbing, I mean like it troubles me inside because he wants me to know him in the same way and I have no idea sometimes how to go about doing that. Except to take it a little bit at a time. You want to take it all. You want to know him completely as he knows you. It's overwhelming when you think about how he knows you and how little you know him. But God invites us and is inviting you today to know him. He wants our, his soul to mingle with ours for some wild reason. The creator of heaven and earth wants you to know him the way that he knows you. He's opened his heart and said, I want you to know me more closely and minutely than you know anyone else. He said, I want you to know my heart, to connect with me on a level that can be reached through the most vulnerable intimacy. I want our souls to come together for both of us to know each other deeply and wholly. And when we read that in scripture, it's kind of poetic, right? And we're okay with those words being on the page when we read it as a poem. We read it as a work of art. We're like, oh, that's really nice. That's fancy. Hold your pinky out when you say that stuff. But when you look at it as, as truth, it becomes a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? We, we, kind of, we kind of have this unsettling inside because that level of intimacy is uncomfortable to us. The natural response to that kind of intimacy is, is actually fear. We're afraid of opening ourselves up to somebody because, well, well, the last person we opened ourselves up to hurt us. We put our trust in a relationship with somebody and they dropped the ball or maybe they cheated on us. or Maybe they hurt you physically or emotionally. We open ourselves up and we get hurt. And so the natural response to this level of intimacy is difficult for us. Our natural tendency is to shy away from it. And that's okay because many of us have a hard time dealing with intimacy. We can do pretty well at avoiding it, but when it's right in our faces, some of us kind of lose it, though. And that's why it's not a surprise to me that our natural response is fear. So intimacy can be pretty scary, but it involves allowing yourself 
to be vulnerable. And many people fear intimacy with God because they know that vulnerability and pain go hand in hand. And so many people have experienced this betrayal that that they close up when it comes to being intimate and vulnerable to God. But when we make ourselves vulnerable to God, we know he's going to find some things that we're not proud of. Some things that we know that he doesn't condone in our lives. Like the woman, the sinful woman, the woman of ill repute that we just read about. She knew she had sin in her life that made her unworthy to touch the Messiah. And because we've all fallen short, we know that God is going to see that in our lives. We know that he's going to find things there. And so it it kind of makes sense that many people would be afraid of this vulnerability. But followers know there's so much to gain by opening themselves up and exposing themselves to vulnerability with God because they know that he's there with us through the pain that we endure. That comfort of knowing that God's with you can only come through intimacy. Again, that's into me see. See it all. And when we open ourselves up through confession, we open ourselves up through prayer, the God who already sees it embraces you because you've laid it out and given it to him. And there's a dividing line here that is worth pointing out regarding intimacy. Fans choose knowledge and followers embrace intimacy. In church, I think we've often failed to embrace that kind of intimacy with Jesus. And instead, what we've done is we've exchanged intimacy for knowledge. Why? Well, because knowledge is easy. Knowledge is is painless. I mean, it's going to cost me some time. It's going to take me some studying a little bit. But I'm not going to get hurt because I read a book. I'm not going to be emotionally damaged or have some baggage because I read a book or gained knowledge about somebody or had a conversation about Jesus. but, But when I expose myself to it, well, we're, we're, we're open to that pain. And so in church, I think we have become like Simon the Pharisee, and we've pursued knowledge. And, and really, admittedly, look around. We all enjoy going to a grow group where we get a book study, and we read all about it, and we, we understand a, maybe a book of the Bible or a concept from the Bible. We enjoy these studies. You know, even the way our Sunday schools are set up, the kids go to Sunday school, and they learn some of the stories about Jesus, and they're memorizing scriptures, and some of them learn to be sword drillers, and some of them go to competition. They study, study, study. And, and look, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, we know from Jesus, from reading about him, that Jesus quoted the Old Testament, the only Bible that would have been available at that time. He read it. He understood it. He gave his life to comprehending it and memorizing it. Those are important things. I'm not saying that they're not, but when we exchange intimacy for knowledge, we are missing the mark of what God has for us. So we cannot expect knowledge to replace intimacy, even though we often try to. And I think when we substitute knowledge for intimacy, honestly, it's because knowledge is so much easier. It's easy for us to say that I know about Jesus, but Jesus wants to know us, and he wants us to know him. And that's where we find Simon the Pharisee. He knew a lot about Jesus and his teachings, and he wanted to learn more. He calls him teacher. He addresses Jesus that way, calls him teacher, which means he identifies this guy's got something I need to learn, but... That's what he's most interested in. He's not interested in opening up to Jesus. And Simon sees all that this woman does for Jesus in his home. 
her embarrassing actions. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 7, 39, it says, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, that's Simon, saw this, he said to himself, now Jesus is about ready to demonstrate some supernatural powers that Simon was not aware that he had. And Simon says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now remember the scene, Jesus is reclining at a table and now his feet are being washed and constantly kissed by this woman who is broken. And Simon sees all this and that's where he goes in his mind. And he says it to himself, but Jesus knows Simon's thoughts and answers him. And look how he answers him. Remember, he's reclined at the table. The woman is at his feet. He's probably talking and engaging with Simon until all the awkwardness begins to happen. The verse says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, I'll come back to that in just a moment. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Can you imagine how the woman is feeling at this point? She knew walking into a room full of religious people would bring her nothing but shame. That they were going to be judging her. That they would all be disgusted with her. That that she would likely be thrown out, ridiculed, and rejected by them. She knew that walking into that room. I think this sounds to me like the church of today. I think we, we as as fans or followers, we have a tendency to look down our long religious noses at people with disgust, with judgment, and say, you don't belong. We talked about this last week. If you weren't here last week, you need to listen to the podcast because anyone is welcome in this auditorium and in this church. Anyone. But I think we've missed the mark because I think we're too often like Simon, a fan, not a follower. And she would have walked into a room full of fans, knowing exactly what she would have thought of them, of her. And now Jesus is facing her. See, the scripture says that though he was reclined at the table facing Simon, there was a follower in the room. A woman who chose to expose herself, who chose to be intimate. And Jesus does something incredible here that you would have just glossed by if you weren't imagining it like I've tried to help you see it. He turns to her and says to Simon, he addresses her, full frontal, turns to the woman and says to Simon out of the side of his mouth, this is what I'm looking for. He embraces her with his gaze. He accepts her because she took a risk at being vulnerable. And Jesus says the most incredible thing that any of us could ever hear. He turns to the woman, acknowledging her, away from the fans, and says, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Oh, there's so much power in that. So much power in that. No matter what you've done, it's gone because she opened herself to Jesus. 
Go in peace. You can't buy that, friends. The alabaster box that she broke and poured the perfume out, it was identified later that this could have been sold and they could have fed the poor for an entire year off of the sale of that perfume. And here it was wasted on Jesus' feet. She knew there was something of more value. And that was peace. He gives it to her. And Simon brought Jesus to the meal, but all he wanted was knowledge. He wanted to keep things shallow, and he defined his relationship by not washing Jesus' feet, not giving him a kiss, not being willing to anoint his head. But this woman, this sinner, she was willing to open up to Jesus. She made herself vulnerable, being totally willing to open up and let Jesus know her. So the question today is, will you let Jesus know you? Will you embrace the close and intimate relationship that he wants you to have? Because with that intimate relationship comes forgiveness and yada, something only followers truly experience. Let's pray today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I need you to know that in this room today, God sees you. He sees you right where you are. This woman didn't come to Jesus with herself cleaned up, with her sins behind her by a year or by two years. She didn't gain a new reputation. In fact, she came to him with the reputation she had. She was a sinner. She was known. She had probably been living that life maybe even hours or minutes before she came to Jesus. She did not take time to clean herself up, and nor do you have to take time to clean yourself up. Today can be an opportunity for you because Jesus already knows. He sees your sin and he loves you. And the God of the universe looked into the future and saw all of us, all of our sins, all of our choices, and he chose to demonstrate his love through Jesus for me and for you. Won't you accept that invitation today to follow him? I'll give you the opportunity to say, and I don't know how to do that. It begins with a prayer and then it's followed by daily taking up your cross and choosing to follow him. If that's you, if I'm speaking to you and you want to take this opportunity to say yes to Jesus, we're going to pray a prayer and you can pray it there at your seat. And I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to know if you're here, would you let me know by raising your hand and saying, Aaron, count me in on that prayer. Thank you. I'm going to give you the words to say and I just want you to pray it. You got to meet it in your heart. It goes like this. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you came and you died me and you rose from the dead give me your Holy Spirit teach me how to live for you and I'll spend every day doing just that thank you Jesus now there's others of you that are here in this room as I've talked today you, you know what that thing is you've been holding back You've been afraid of intimacy. You've been a fan for too long. You've kept things on the surface. It's been shallow. But God sees what you're hiding. Today, he's calling you to intimacy, to know the depths of his love for you despite your sin. So confess that you've been a fan and allow today to be a day that you begin to follow again. Because sometimes we wind up being a fan. We don't even mean to be there. We just take little steps away. And the next thing you know, we're not following Jesus anymore. We're walking our own path. So I'm going to pray for you. 
And I want you to take hold of this moment as your moment to get back on the path, to get close to Jesus. Confess if you have to. Seek him in prayer now. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, those that are listening by podcast. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us now. Lord, as we turn to you, as we open up our hearts to you, as we reveal the pains and the hurts inside, maybe that someone else has caused us that we've been hiding and we've been living a lie. Maybe we followed you at once and now we're just fans. We didn't mean to step away, but we have. Lord, draw us back in. Throw your arms open to us as you did the prodigal son, that you were watching and waiting for him to return. Lord, I know that you are waiting for our return to follow you closely, to be intimate with you again. Help us to do that this week, Jesus. Help us to do it. We need you, God. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name.